Welcome back. Catholic Answers Live. Open forum as promised. Tomorrow's a big day, by the way. In case you don't know it, I probably should have said something about this the first hour. Big day. Big commemoration tomorrow. What are we commemorating, Darren? Epiphany. That's right. Yes. The uh, coming of the wise men or the kings or whatever you call them. There was not three of them, though. Or maybe there was three, but it doesn't say in the Bible there was three. Uh, so, big day tomorrow. Uh, I think some folks in the Eastern churches celebrate Christmas. Do they? Do you, Oh, do you know? I don't know. All right, I thought so. In any case, we continue with Open Forum with Carla Roussard, a, a apologist and speaker extraordinaire here at Catholic uh, Answers, author most recently of this book right here, Purgatory is for Real, Good News about the Afterlife for Those Who Aren't Perfect Yet. Welcome back, Carla. Hey, Sai. Thanks for having me be back. Uh, well, <laughs> that didn't come out right. <laughs> thanks for having me back. No, you said, okay, yeah, but I thought it came out. It was fine. I stuttered, man. It was like a m- 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 <laughs> Thanks for having me, Babak. Uh, okay, well, we're I'm glad b- you're Babak. B- 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 back to the bone. There you go. Uh, I'm uh, so happy you're here. Uh, you're helping us out, and uh, and we, we uh, per- very much appreciate that. Um, and you're traveling less this month because I know you traveled a lot less last month, but is it all nothing? Yeah, de- yeah November, December was pretty busy. Yeah. I was not in the office very much, and I was on the road uh, doing some Advent missions in Texas, back home in Louisiana, as well as up the road in Orange, California. I had a great time. I had a great holiday, both Christmas and New Year. Uh, but I must say, it's good to be back in the saddle and ready to rock and roll. Yeah, yeah. Get into the rhyme and reason. Uh, right, and finish. And is the other book finished? The, or we're working. It? We're we're beginning the editorial process right now and yeah. massaging that manuscript there. And so we're hoping that it'll be released uh, this spring. Great. Meeting Very. the Protestant response. Coming this spring. Coming this spring. That Very is correct. Uh, the number here is 888-318-7884. Three lines open uh, right now. We'll start with Matthew in Red Lake, Ontario, watching on Catholic.com. Matthew, you there with us? Hang on, Matthew. Are you there with us, Matthew? Can you hear me now? Oh, I can hear you now. Yeah. You... Oh, there we are. Okay, yeah. great. Hi, guys. Hi. Uh, it's an honor to talk to you, Carlo. Oh, it's great to talk um, to you I... as well, Matthew. Uh, my, I got a question for you. Um, dealing with a lot of uh, big questions lately, and I heard actually it was one of your arguments. And I'm going to try to play devil's advocate. And I'm just curious to what you say. And I am Catholic, and I love okay. the Catholic faith. So um, basically, there's the idea that in first, I believe it's First Peter. I think it's chapter two. Yeah, he's quoting Ag- Exodus 19 verse six, if I remember. Yeah, that sounds about okay. right. Mm-hmm. And he's uh, saying, you know, you are a royal priesthood, and, and that's the argument that um, basically there's like a three-tier, uh, I remember hearing you say it, I heard Jimmy Aiken say it, there's like a three-tier structure. There's like the high priest in ancient Israel, there's this like universal priesthood, but they mm-hmm. don't offer sacrifices, mm-hmm. and then there's like a middle level, and that is the same in the, the Catholic Church, there's yeah. Jesus, the high priest the ministerial priests or ordained priests, and then there's, like, lay people, which is a different priesthood. Right. But the only problem I, ha- I have with that, and I don't know what to do with that, is we got, like, a divinely inspired letter that is infallible also from the first pope, and he's quoting Exodus 19, which is pre-Golden Calf, wherein every father and firstborn was a uh, son was able to offer sacrifice. Mm-hmm. What would be, like, the rebuttal to that? 
Yeah, that's a good good question, Matthew. So I'm assuming the implication is, well, what about the Levitical priesthood that comes into existence after the golden calf, right? Which is an establishment of the Levitical pri- of a priesthood in response to the sin of the Israelites. So it would seem, uh, based upon how you're articulating the argument, it would seem that there is no threefold rank among the priestly ministries among the Israelites before the golden calf, but there is after. But yet 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 5 and 9, Peter is alluding to the rank of priestly ministries among the Israelites before the Levitical priesthood. Uh, so my response to that would be, if you, if you read at least you know, the articles that I've written, and I know Jimmy has written on this as well, Matthew, is the parallel exists between the highest rank Jesus— and Aaron, the high priest, the lowest rank, the universal priesthood of Christians in the church, paralleling the lowest rank of priesthood among the Israelites, the universal priesthood of believers, the middle rank, Matthew, the parallel exists between what we say as Catholics, the ministerial priesthood of Jesus Christ and Aaron's sons. So the sons of Aaron would constitute a middle rank priestly ministry among the Israelites in association with the highest rank, Aaron, and the lowest rank, the priesthood of the, Israelite, of the Israelites, the, the believers, the faithful ones. Because in Exodus chapter 28, there you find where Moses ordains Aaron and his sons to offer sacrifices. The high priesthood resides in Aaron as the head but his sons also minister in offering sacrifices for the Israelites as well. So they exercise a priestly rank that is distinct from Aaron because they are priests only insofar as they're descendants of Aaron. So Aaron, Aaron occupies this role of high priest. And so if we, once we establish that threefold rank among the Israelites, Aaron, his sons, <coughs> and the Israelites themselves, then we see a threefold rank that can map with or match with the threefold rank uh, within the New Covenant. Jesus, his ministerial priest, namely the apostles and their successors, and the universal priesthood of believers. Is that helpful, Matthew? Um, well, not, well, unfortunately, I'd have to say no, because it basically implies that in, that in the Catholic Church there is this idea that fathers and sons can still offer sacrifice. However, not in, my theory is not in a, like a parish level or diocesan level, not on a papal altar, right. just over one lone domestic church family. And then my, my parallel to that too would be, well, what about like, we you know David conquered Jerusalem, so he, he inherited Melchizedek Shem's universal priesthood, I guess. That would be how he did it, but he's clearly not from Levi, and yet he's offering sacrifices in a tent, you know? So is right. there, what would be the new covenant parallel to that? Especially, the reason I'm asking this is because we're in a time where I might literally get under interdict because I don't want to get the backed, you know? And I'm worried about that. I don't know if it's hap- going to happen, but it's a constant fear I'm thinking about. Okay, so I missed that last you, part. You don't want to get the vaccine? Oh, that's what he's saying. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I get you. And I well, might be put under interdict for that. Let Let me just respond to the idea, you, the first point you made about well, wouldn't that entail that fathers 
or a priest in the New Covenant and not some ordained ministerial priest? Well, my first response to that would be, just generally speaking, all the argument is insisting upon, Matthew, is that there is a there is a rank of priestly ministry among the Israelites that we can identify. Given that Peter is alluding to one of the ranks, and we already know there's a highest rank in Jesus, it would follow that at least it is reasonable. It's not a proof positive argument, right? It's not an argument that's going to lead to a certain conclusion, but it's a reasonableness, showing that it's at least reasonable that there would be a middle rank that we say exists in the, in the ministerial priesthood in the Church of Jesus Christ. We would have to take further steps to establish that there is a ministerial priesthood in the New Covenant, a middle rank priesthood that would match with the middle rank of Aaron's sons. So that's my first thought. Now, my second thought, keep in mind, Matthew, that Aaron and his sons and their priestly ministry is not equated with the priesthood of the father and their firstborns necessarily as we see in, say, Noah offering sacrifice or even back to Adam as priests um, and, and uh, Abraham. But what we find is that Moses is actually this, um, making Aaron, separating Aaron and his sons apart from all other priestly ministries to do things that pertain to them alone. And this is why he ordains Aaron and his sons. That's explicit in Scripture. So what Moses is doing in relation to Aaron and his sons and establishing them as priests is something distinct from the priesthood of the firstborn or the fathers, as we see in the Old Testament. They, they were ordained specifically for a task. Given that it's a priestly ordination, an ordination for priestly ministries, we see that it's a distinct ministerial ministry. And with Aaron as the highest rank, his sons being the middle rank, we can map that on, see the match with Jesus appointing um, his apostles, right, to be successors, uh, to, to be priests. But even if we want to nuance it more, to be technically correct, Matthew, the apostles would actually be mapping on to Aaron the high priest because the apostles are possessed the priesthood and Jesus' priesthood in full. And it would be the presbyters that they would eventually ordain as constituting precisely the middle rank of ministerial priests that would you would say map on to Aaron's sons. So appealing to the father priesthood is not a good argument to undermine the fact that Aaron was ordained to be specifically a ministerial priest for the Israelites and his sons. Uh, concerning David uh, offering sacrifices and being a priest according to the order of Melchizedek, this is something that you have with New Testament revelation. Uh, it's not an exact replica of the threefold rank of the Old Covenant, right? Because Jesus is restoring something of the Old. Namely, he's restoring the Melchizedekian priesthood in order to reveal that to be a ministerial priest in the New Covenant, you do not have to have descent, you do not have to be a descendant of Aaron. So you can be a ministerial priest in the New Covenant in as much as you are in Christ. And even for us as the universal priesthood, we are universal priests among the baptized insofar as we are in Christ. So the revelation of Christ sort of uh, being a priest according to the order of Melchizedek, thus going back even further than the Aaronic priesthood, 
is to reveal precisely that point. To be a priest in the new covenant, you do not have to be a descendant of Aaron. You have to be in Christ. And in Christ, there are differing degrees of the priestly function, of the priestly order. And that's where that threefold rank in the old covenant comes into play to show that it's at least reasonable for to say that in Peter's mind, he was thinking of a similar rank of priestly ministry, given that there's the parallel for the bottom rank. We know that there's the parallel for the top rank of Aaron, Jesus, and we could say the apostles who possess that uh, priesthood in full and then argue for the reasonableness of a middle rank, the presbyters. And I got to leave it there because we are late for the break, but we'll take that break and be right back with more Open Forum with Carla Broussard right after this on Catholic Answers Live. Stay with us for more Catholic Answers Live. The Aquinas Writing Advantage program is part of Homeschool Connections set of online courses for your Catholic homeschool. Homeschool Connections website is homeschoolconnections.com. The EWTN home video highlight for January is Life Journey with Sean Carney. 40 Days for Life founder Sean Carney profiles those who have personally confronted the abortion issue themselves and chose life. Order your DVD at EWTNRC.com 24 hours a day, 7 days a week or call 1-800-854-6316. back. Catholic Answers Live. I'm Cy Kellis, your host. Enjoying this first week of the new year because we're doing open forum every day and we're just letting people ask whatever they like. Carla Broussard is our guest this hour. Carla, of course, the author of Prepare the Way, Overcoming Obstacles to God, the Gospel, and the Church, uh, Meeting the Protestant Challenge, which is about to have a baby brother called yeah. Meeting, Meeting the Protestant, the Protestant Response. Response. Yeah. And of course, Purgatory is for Real. Good news about the afterlife for those who aren't perfect yet. Uh, up next, we go to Boise, Idaho. Jamie in Boise, Idaho, listening on 1140 AM Salt and Light Radio. You are next, Jamie. Go ahead with your question. Hi. Um, can you hear me okay? I'm having problems with my phone. Nah, you sound good. Okay. Um, the reason I'm calling is I was having a discussion kind of heated with my um, associate pastor at church uh-huh. on like Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, and he was saying that um, Mary was not married, and that's what he was, um, you know, in his right. homily, he was saying that, and it's like, oh, and you, I don't think that's what the early church thought. I, yeah. I wanted to find out what the early church thought, because I thought they considered her married as part of the traditional Jewish marriage ceremony. Yeah, Jamie, you are correct in thinking that Mary was indeed really married, right? She was technically married to Joseph when the angel appeared to her to announce that God was inviting her to be the mother of the Messiah. Where the confusion often, the source of the confusion often arises when some English translations will say that Mary was engaged to Joseph, Uh, But the Greek word there is betrothed. It means to be betrothed. And such betrothal meant real marriage. It wasn't just an engagement. It was the real marriage. And as we know from uh, for, for Jewish marriages, there was the period where they would be married. There was the 
ratification of the marriage through the profession of the vows where they become really married. And then there was an interim period where the husband would go off to prepare a place for his bride, come back and get his bride, and they would consummate that which was real, namely their marriage bond. So this is, it's that period where they're married, that interim period where they're really married but have not yet consummated the marriage that seems to be the point at which the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and invites her to be the mother of the Messiah at the Annunciation there in Luke chapter 1. Now, Jamie, the evidence that such a betrothal was a real marriage is found, for example, in in Matthew's account of how Joseph sought to divorce Mary quietly, right? Now think about this, Jamie. Why would Joseph seek to divorce Mary if they were not legally married, right? Uh, A divorce would not be necessary if they were not really married, married in a real way. Uh, So that's one piece of evidence that we could appeal to, but also, too, Matthew goes on to talk about Joseph as Mary's husband in Matthew chapter 1, verse 19. So in Matthew 1, 18, that's when Matthew says, when his mother Mary had been betrothed, that's the same Greek word that Luke uses in Luke chapter 1, verse 27, before they came together, she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit, okay? Then in verse 19, right after that, Matthew refers to Joseph as Mary's husband, the Greek word there, aner, which can be translated as husband. Then in verse 20, Matthew quotes the angel, do not fear to take Mary, your wife. So given that Joseph seeks to divorce Mary and that Matthew refers to Mary as Joseph's wife and calls Joseph Mary's husband, we have clear evidence that Mary was not engaged to Joseph in our sense of the term engaged, but she was betrothed in the sense that they were legally married. Well, and see, that's what I told him. And so then he told me, because he's from Africa, Mm. and he said, well, there's two schools of thought. And he said, and he gets tired of people trying to play God. Mm. And um, so he's saying that that's, they were also, and he said, I wanted to have the people in church understand that she was not a prostitute. And it's like, well, I understand what you're trying to get across. But I said, the fact is, is the early church does consider her married. And he disagreed with me. And Well, there's always different schools of thought on every issue. The question is, which of those schools has the best evidence to support its claims? And the Bible gives evidence to support the claim that Mary was legally married, and she conceives Jesus within her womb, but not by any cooperation of some man, her husband, nor some other man, but the Holy Spirit. So this is a miraculous event that's taking place, and it in no way undermines the legal marriage that she had with Joseph. And wait, I, 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 so you're good? I'm glad that I was right. Well, we all are when we're right. Of course, everybody's glad when they're right. But I'm just thinking about this priest. He came all the way from Africa to Idaho to serve as your priest. I, I kind of like this guy. I want you to be nice to him. <laughs> I just, you know, it's like I'm not going to go back and argue with him and say I was right and you were wrong. It's like I'm not going to do that. I just wanted to make sure that what I said was actually the truth. All right. Well, that, that's, that seems reasonable. Now yep. you and I settle. would argue that you have said the truth. 
All right. Thanks. Thank you so much. Thanks. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. All right. Bye-bye. Um, let's see. Where am I going now? Rob, what just watching on YouTube. That's what I got. Rob, you there with us? I'm here. Can you hear me? I can, yeah. Go ahead with your question, Rob. Okay. Um, I hear a lot uh, that you cannot be a true follower of Christ uh, unless you give up everything. Mm. You know, all, all your earthly things. So I just wanted to, fit, you know, to, to actually ask. Oh, by the way, I'm sorry. Greetings to the venerable Psy. Anyway, that. Um, <laughs> oh, the venerable. Man. Well. Man, like, last month oh, they were canonizing I, you. Now no. you're a venerable. I like the venerable, though. I, I accept that, Rob. I accept my new title. But, but anyway, um, I, I, I guess I'm kind of confused. Do I give up everything and live on the street? Um, do I. Uh, um, is there something in between? I mean, I don't understand. Because Is there a yeah. particular passage that's it's afflicting you about this, uh, um, Rob? I'm sorry to tell you, I can't tell you what it is. Okay, no, that's I fine, just fine. Recently returned to the church. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. You know, so I'm just I'm, I'm kind of lost here. Yeah, but sure. I, but all I know is is that you really can't be a follower of Christ unless you give up everything, and I've heard that way too many times. So it's yeah. got to be true. So I guess I need to, to clarify, what is it that I need to do to attain that station? Yeah. By the way, I'm not married. I have no kids. Okay. Well, Rob, first of all, thank you for calling in and asking your question. And God bless you for re- responding and cooperating with God's grace to come back to the church. So welcome back to the church. And welcome back to being a follower of Jesus Christ. It all depends on what we, how we interpret give up everything. Like, I mean, where we, where we might find that actually in Jesus' teaching, one passage, and the reason why Sai was asking you this, Rob, is because in Matthew chapter 19, there's a rich young man comes to Jesus, says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, keep the commandments. He says, I've done that. What else must I do? Jesus says, go sell everything you have and come and follow me. And so sometimes people will read that and think that, oh, wow, does that mean I have to give up literally everything and all of my material possessions in order to be a follower of Jesus? Well, the short answer, Rob, is no. God may call some people to that, but that's a very extraordinary circumstance, and we would need help from holy and smart priests and religious people to help us discern whether God might be calling someone to give up everything and, like, say, join a religious order or a, a religious community and live the st- in the state of material poverty and, and follow that call in that sense. But there's another way in which we can understand this, Rob, for those of us who, who God calls to live in the world but not be of the world. And in living in the world, it requires material possessions, you know, you need to survive, you need a, a roof over your head, you need food, you need drink, and so that requires having things, money, in order to purchase those things. So you're going to need material goods for your comfort and your security. Ordinarily speaking, God calls us all to this in a natural way. And so to give up everything to follow Christ, for us, that means, Rob, that we need to be willing, at least willing, to give up the material goods— If they were to be placed in front of Jesus, like, for example, if somebody comes and says, you know, unless you deny Jesus, I'm taking all of your stuff away from you, right? Even your life, I'm going to kill you. Well, 
we have to be at least willing to give up all of material goods and even our very lives for the sake of Jesus Christ, for the sake of love of Christ. So we can understand it, Rob, in that sense. We at least need to be willing to give up everything for Christ. The second way we can understand it, Rob, is that we need to give up everything in a spiritual sense. And that is to say, we need to make sure that our Lord Jesus is the primary good that we're pursuing for happiness in our lives, that we're seeking him first and foremost. And anything that is standing in his way or in our way of of, uh, being united to him, we need to get rid of it. So in a spiritual way, we need to give up everything within our heart, within our will, so that Jesus occupies the, our heart in its, enti- in, in its entirety, right? So that there's nothing in our heart that Jesus is competing with. Now, granted, that's a lot easier said than done. And our whole life will be the process of trying to achieve that state where Jesus occupies our heart entirely. And he's not competing with some other, you know, some other good, because he's the ultimate good that we want to possess in full. And everything else we seek only in so far as it's going to lead us to better union with Jesus Christ. So that's how we, Rob, in ordinary circumstances, can understand giving up everything for Jesus. Uh, Rob, uh, hang on the line, uh, if you will. I'd like to send you a, a copy of Why We're Catholic. That's our, since you said you just came back to the church, uh, we like to give that book uh, uh, to folks who are new or coming back. And uh, call again if, uh, if, if you need some follow-up. Did you know you can access Catholic Answers Live right from your phone or other mobile device? Download the Catholic Answers Live app today. The Catholic Answers Live app, available now on iOS and Android. Here's a question. Is it really possible to be friends with someone who died 2,000 years ago? Maybe the problem is that we've grown way too comfortable with the story of Jesus. Nice man, right? Taught us to love one another, said not to judge people. We celebrate his birthday every year. It's time to put away this small, safe version of Jesus, says Cy Kellett. Nobody that bland could have transformed the world. In a teacher of strange things, Cy presents Jesus Christ undiluted by sentiment, with all his radical words and deeds uncensored. Do you know someone, your son or daughter perhaps, or maybe your mom or dad, who needs the friendship of Jesus Christ? Do you? Order your copy of A Teacher of Strange Things by visiting shop.catholic.com today or asking for it at a good Catholic bookstore near you. Have you enrolled in the Catholic Answers School of Apologetics? Let me ask you a more important question. Do you believe as a Catholic that you have an obligation to share the Catholic faith? In fact, the church has answered this question and the answer is that all confirmed Catholics are obliged to share the faith. It's actually in canon law. Catholic Answers is here to help you fulfill that obligation. Our School of Apologetics courses will equip you to help all the people you come in contact with understand what the church teaches and why. A great place to start is with all the Catholics in your life. Learn the art of apologetics from the best of the best and start sharing the gospel today. Visit schoolofapologetics.com. That's schoolofapologetics.com. 
tomorrow on More to Life, Off Balance. Are you dealing with challenges that are making it difficult for you to stay on your feet? We'll help you regain your balance. That's tomorrow on More to Life. Now back to Catholic Answers Live. Welcome back, Catholic Answers Live. It's open forum. You're welcome to call. There's two lines open, uh, that, and we have six lines total. So get in there. We'll get you before the top of the hour, 888-318-7884. I learn things about you all the time. Carla just learned during the break. You've never seen the movie Soylent Green, which was a major topic of conversation in here yesterday. <laughs> nope. Never I have never seen that. T- uh, Darren's never seen it either. It must I'm not be... a big old movie buff guy. I just haven't had the opportunities to. Came out when I was a kid. It's not like an old movie. <laughs> I beg to old, differ. Old movies are. <laughs> you odie go to you. <laughs> All right, let's go to Ediberto in. Uh, it says Mount Avail, Oregon. I hope I got that right. Listening on the great modern day radio. Uh, Ediberto, you there with us? Yeah, I am. It's uh, Mount Angel. Oh, Mount Angel. Oh, I gotcha. Eddie, yeah. I got, I'm going to need you to get right up to the phone because it's it sounds uh, it's difficult to hear you. Okay, hold on. Hold on. Where are you going? <laughs> do you have another? I don't know. It's about the same. Just give it a shot. Let's see how we do. I don't know what's going on. Anyway, uh, my question is, um, uh, thank you, by the way, for for your show. I've been learning a lot with you. I, I love apologetics. Oh. And uh, my question, um, it's... Uh, at church, uh, I was asked a question uh, that I thought I knew, but um, after that, I, I, after the answer, so many questions after that, uh, that came. Aye. So they asked me if I have, uh, uh, if, if I go, have gone to confession, you know, I did everything I supposed to do before, and uh, after an hour, you know, I don't, I'm, I, I don't do any sins or anything. Uh, do I go straight to heaven, or do I still got to, to uh, purgatory? Ah, and if you, have a, if you have a, a, a number on, on, on the catechism, if you can give me uh, something that I can prove to them, okay. that would be nice. Well, Eddie Berto, I can give you something more than a reference to the catechism. We can send you my book, Purgatory is for Real, Good news about the afterlife for those who aren't perfect yet. And in the book, Ediberto, I give a full explanation of the church's teaching on purgatory and the evidence for it. But more to your question, the content of the book will provide an answer to your question. I'll summarize it here for you right now. It depends, right? So the question is, would I go straight to heaven after I confess my sins in the sacrament of confession? Well, It depends. It's possible that you could go straight to heaven immediately following the receiving the sacrament of reconciliation on condition that your degree of charity was so fervent at the moment of confession and shortly thereafter upon death that there would be no remnants of the forgiven sin left over in the soul. And the Catechism teaches that it's possible for someone when they die to go immediately into heaven and bypass purgatory. That's found in paragraph 1472. So it's possible, Eddie Berto, that someone could go straight to heaven 
when they die, within on your scenario, they would be dying immediately after going to confession. Now, it is also possible that, say, I go to confession and shortly thereafter I die, that I would not go immediately to heaven. And the reason why I would not go immediately to heaven is because there would be some remnant or remnants of the past forgiven sin left over in my soul. The guilt would not be there because the guilt of sin was remitted and washed away in the sacrament of reconciliation. But, Eriberto, there still could be some unhealthy attachments to some creaturely good dwelling within my soul, right, as a result of the sin I committed, because whenever we sin, we're turning to some creaturely good in a disordered way, and that has an effect that results in some unhealthy attachment to that creaturely good. So if there were some unhealthy attachment to a creaturely good remaining after I went to confession upon death, well, that unhealthy attachment would have to get purified and purged to where my will would be entirely and 100% healthy and directed to God as my ultimate supernatural end so that I can go to heaven in the beatific vision. Also, too, Eddie I it's possible I could go to confession shortly thereafter. I still have what is called a remaining debt of temporal punishment due for the past forgiven sin. Now, that's a whole nother can of worms. And that requires more explanation to unpack what that means. But that's why we're going to send you the book, Eddie So the bottom line is, is that it's possible for somebody to go to confession, shortly thereafter die, and go immediately into heaven. But it's also possible for someone to go to confession, shortly thereafter die, and have to undergo the final purification in order to enter into the beatific vision, which we call heaven. Is that helpful for you, brother? It does. It does. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your uh, answer. And I'll be, uh, I, I just have a short question on the uh, on the book. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, did you, do you have it only in English? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. we don't okay. have a Spanish version of it. Have you thought about uh, translating your book? Uh, that's that's up to the powers that be, Eddieberto. <laughs> that is not my decision. It would be great, but uh, that is not um, that has not been decided on as of today. But we'll be, okay. we'll definitely Thank relay you. the message that you asked about it. Yeah, that that is actually oh, yeah. helpful. I, I I I believe that they will tell a lot too, because I know a lot of people who are uh, involved and uh, they love apologetics too. So I I think that will be a great book to have. I really appreciate you saying that, Ediberto. We're going to, we will share this with the the folks who make these decisions who are uh, several floors above where uh, Carlo and I. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe where you sit. (laughs) I mean, Carlo's several floors above me and then there are several more floors above him. So, uh, but I I appreciate you saying that because this is something that we've, you know, struggled with uh, making decisions about as an apostolate. And um, I know that Trent has a book that was translated into Spanish, right? Why, Why We're Catholic, I believe, was translated into Spanish. That by, sounds about right. I think by a, a, an apostolate in Spain, if I remember mm. right. I'm not sure. Um, uh, but if there's any you know Spanish-language book publishers that'd like to call us and talk about it, we'd be happy to talk about it. Uh, Eddie Better, uh, hang on if you want the book. Uh, if not, call us again sometime. It was nice talking with you, all right? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'll, I'll hold on. Okay, God bless you, brother. Uh, the number is 888-318-7884. 
about 1 million people on the line right now. We're going to Pablo now in Tracy, California, listening on the Catholic Answers Live app. Pablo, thank you very ooh, my screen just changed. Pablo, thank you very much. Go ahead with your question for Carlo. Howdy, y'all. Hi. Um, my, question, my question is um, I'm trying to help uh, my pro, or I guess like my the Protestants near me or like my Protestant friends and brothers. Because um, usually what they tell me is like, oh, God left us a Bible and not a church. And I, I, I listen to them, but I try to explain as much as I can and calmly as I can. And I tell them, if you look more in scripture or um, church teaching, like you just got to be open-minded. Um, I forgot what and what passage it is. <laughs> Tip, I guess I'm just typical. Um, um, so my question is, um, is there any uh, scripture that you guys can help me with to fully or make them understand why is it that we believe that um, there's only one church and not multiple denominations? So if you can help me out with that, okay, uh, okay. great. Yeah, great question, Pablo. Uh, first, I just want to briefly respond to the comments you made where you said how your friends are saying, you know, Jesus left us, God left us the Bible and not the church. One important thought, Pablo, to keep in mind in response to that is that we would not know what makes up the Bible. In other words, we would not know which historical documents within the Jewish and Christian communities are inspired by God if it were not for the church here on earth teaching us that it is so. In order to know what is inspired by God, we need an infallible testimony on this earth, a voice on this earth who speaks on behalf of and with the authority of Jesus Christ, such that we can know these documents are inspired. This document is not inspired. So in order to have the Bible, we need the church. So that's one thought to keep in mind. Now concerning your question in particular about how we know that Jesus set up one church and not many churches, it's important that we look to what Jesus did in his ministry in starting his church, where he talks about his church. So, for example, we could go to Matthew 16, 18 through 19, Pablo. That's where Jesus talks about building his church. In fact, he says, I will build my church. So what does he say in the context there? Well, he's talking to Simon, who he says is going to be called Peter. And the Greek word for Simon's name, Petros, means rock. And he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. So Peter is revealed to be the rock, the foundation, upon which Jesus says he's going to build his church. Well, there's only one foundation that is revealed for Jesus' church in the New Testament. That's Peter. It is true that the other apostles elsewhere in the New Testament are spoken of as together, collectively, the foundation of the church. But given the exclusive revelation, the exclusive comment from Jesus about Peter in Matthew 16, 18, reveals to us that the apostles are collectively the foundation of the church only in as much as they are with Peter, the visible foundation of Jesus' church here on earth. So Peter has a unique role to play as being the foundation of Jesus' church, a, a unique place as the foundation of Jesus' church. And wherever there is a single foundation, Pablo, there is a single church of Jesus Christ. And so the question becomes, well, where is that church today? And the answer to that question is the Catholic Church, 
because it is the Catholic Church alone that has the successor to St. Peter as the bishop of Rome, which is um, the, the bishopric that Peter died in. Peter was the bishop of Rome when he died. And so because of that historical continuity, we can say that the Catholic Church possesses the successor to St. Peter, that visible foundation of the Church, and thus conclude that Jesus intended to establish one Church, not multiple Churches. And of course, he prays for that unity in John chapter 17 in his high priestly prayer. Okay, Pablo? Okay, thank you. Well, well don't go yet, Pablo, because I'd like to send you Jimmy Aiken's book, The Bible is a Catholic Book, that explains a lot of uh, what Carlo just explained. So if you hold on, we'll send you The Bible is a Catholic Book. Uh, which is about the Bible, how it was put together, who the people were that wrote it, what the circumstances were of its writing and of its uh, collection into one uh, book. So uh, just hang on. We'll send you the Bible as a Catholic book. We've got to take a break. Right back with more Open Forum with Carlo Broussard right after this. You're listening to Catholic Answers Live. Underwriting for Catholic Answers Live is provided by Real Estate for Life. Real Estate for Life connects homebuyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations. On the web at realestateforlife.org. The leading Catholic voices are on EWTN Radio. I've got a few things here and there that I've learned along the way. I'm always studying history, and I, I love studying history. So I try to bring in some of the historical uh, perspective, especially at a time in our history when people don't know much history anymore. Open Line with Father Mitch Pacwa tonight, 10 Eastern, on EWTN Radio. A lot of people think that street evangelization involves yelling out of a bullhorn telling people that they're going to hell. Not so with St. Paul's street evangelization. Our methods are non-confrontational and effective. We simply offer information on the Catholic faith along with rosaries, miraculous medals, and prayer. Pope Francis wrote about how beautiful it is to see street preachers joyfully bringing Jesus to every corner of the earth. Street evangelization is fun and fruitful. Join us today at streetevangelization.com. Welcome back. Catholic Answers Live. All 40 of our Catholic Answers 20 Answers books, or for, excuse me, 47. You can get the whole set for a little more than a dollar a book right now with free shipping. So get that set. It's great to have around. You can just read one when you feel like reading one or just make it a systematic thing and read through all of them. And uh, you get quite an education in the Catholic faith. Shop.catholic.com. That's where you go. And uh, all, I think for the whole month, uh, well, at least certainly this week, it's on all 47 when you buy the group 47 together on sale, a little more than a dollar each and free shipping. Uh, Sarah's taking the phone calls and uh, she said our earlier caller called back who asked about, um, do you have to give everything up to follow Jesus? Yeah. And couldn't remember the uh, Bible citation that you gave. Yeah, it was Matthew chapter 19 and the verses where we read about the conversation between Jesus and the rich man is verses 16 through 30. So that's Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 30. All right. It was just nice to get to say Sarah's name on the air, because Sarah does a good job. And Sarah. We appreciate you, Sarah. Sarah. Thank you for your hard work. Good work, Sarah. I said your name like 20 times. Juanita in Cleveland, Ohio. Oh, she's listening on The Rock, AM, 1260 AM. They have the most fantastic bright orange shirts. 
at this uh, radio station. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Uh, all right. Bernadette, who runs the station. Do they have, like, the rock, Dwayne Johnson, to, like— They should get him Show to, it like, off. And, like, no, Carlo. It, show those biceps. No, Carlo. They have me. <laughs> what is wrong? Why is that— all right. All right. Sorry, sorry. Juanita. I just couldn't help. Go help ahead. No, no, I'm hurt. All right? I'm hurt now. Juanita, go ahead. Hi, Juanita. Oh. Okay. Come on, Juanita. Should we give her another minute? We'll, we'll come, we could come back to you, Juanita. It, it, it sounded like she, she was walking somewhere. I don't, I don't know. Maybe Juanita's out for a walk and then couldn't hear us. We're going to come back to you, though. We, we don't like to let people go. We want to get the question, Juanita, so we're going to come back to you. In the meantime, we'll go to David in Rochester, New York, watching on YouTube. Glad to have you, David. Uh, go ahead with your question for Carla. Thank you very much. Uh, happy New Year to you, Cy and Carla. I appreciate all the work that you do. Thank you, buddy. And I love the show. Thank love you. the show. Um, my question deals with the um, – I have an interest in learning about the apocryphal books of Enoch – um, what does the church teach about the books that were um, not put in the Bible? Um, are, th are those something we should read with a grain of salt? Uh, how should we approach them if we're interested in them? And, um, you know, some of the other books like the Gospel of Philip, Thomas, and Mary. I just wonder what your thoughts were as Catholics, how we should approach these. Yeah. Okay, so David, with reference to the book of Enoch specifically, I'm going to defer and point you to some articles written on the Book of Enoch at Catholic.com. Jimmy has written some stuff on it. I think Tim Staples has done maybe a podcast on it, for example. And so you can get a, a sense of how we should approach that book in particular. Uh, with regard to the others that you mentioned, like the Apocryphal Gospels, such as the Gospel of James, and other Apocryphal Gospels that arose uh, starting about the mid-2nd century and forward— our approach to these documents would be, number one, they're not inspired, okay? And I'm sure, you know, you, you, you agree with that, and you know that, and other people listening know that as well. But secondly, just because they're not inspired doesn't mean they're not informative in some ways. Um, so we need to keep that in mind. But at the same time, we need to be aware that these apocryphal gospels contain inaccurate details and legendary developments about the life of Jesus and others uh, within the life of Jesus th that is unlike other non-inspired historical documents from the first and second century. So from the first century, we could look at Clement's letter to the Corinthian church, dating about A.D. 70, as some scholars put it. Others will say A.D. 90. A.D. 70 dating seems pretty persuasive. That's a non-biblical document outside of the canon, but it's not apocryphal. It's not like it contains inaccurate information, legendary developments. No, it's a historical document that's considered to be accurately describing the things of the first century and events of the first century. In contrast to, say, the Gospel of James, which has some information that we might be able to glean from it about certain strands of thought that were in the current of Christian thinking of the second century, but recognizing at the same time that there's going to be details in there that perhaps conflict with the legitimate Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and also legendary developments that historians will identify to be just that, legendary developments and not 
accurate reporting of what actually took place in the life of Jesus and in the life of the early church. So that would be our approach. Now, concerning documents that are not, just generally speaking, not within the canon itself, uh, it's one thing to say that the list within the, the list of books that we have in the Bible are inspired, and then another thing to say, well, those other books that are not in the canon are not inspired. And so those are two distinguishing, um, those are two distinct claims, and theologians kind of go back and forth. It's a very complex debate concerning uh, whether certain books excluded from the canon are not inspired or just not considered to be inspired. Uh, so that would be sort of an approach that we would begin to take concerning those books and then analyzing how theologians go back and forth and, and analyzing those, the nature of those books. So, uh, all set, David? All set. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. David, can I, I take a moment of your time to make a little pitch? Because you started with a, a mentioning the Book of Enoch, and uh, Tim Staples did a great focus episode with us. Okay, I was right on that. Uh, yeah. Oh, I knew yeah. I had seen that. Yeah, yeah. Thousands of uh, people have viewed it. Just, But the, the way to do it is just type into your internet machine, um, is the church hiding the Book of Enoch? And it takes you straight to it. Is the church hiding the Book of Enoch? Okay. Uh, and then you'll... Hey, you'll man, you're, okay. you're taking cues from our, our good old president there. Saying, go to Google. Use Google. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, man. Whether yeah. it's good or bad, I don't know. But I just have to get it in there. <laughs> yes, I'm. I'm. I'm trying to uh, maintain good relations with the president Amen, of Catholic brother. Answers. You know, I find that I feel that's important. Hey, in my professional Google helps me out every day. <laughs> me too. I don't yeah. have a problem with that. Uh, let's try Juanita in Cleveland uh, again. Cleveland, Ohio, listening on the Rock AM 1260, which has the most awesome orange T-shirts. Juanita, you there with us? Vicky's here. Vicky, I'm so happy you're there. Where where do you, are you in in Cleveland or somewhere else? I'm in Holmesdale, Pennsylvania. I see what happens. Sometimes this happens that there's a little switcheroo on the line. Uh, somebody hangs up just as somebody else is calling in. Oh, well, this is a uh, very good fortune that you're here because uh, we really need a question because Carlo's not oh, good at answering just blank air. We need something from you. So what do you got? <laughs> I have a question about Genesis four, sixteen and seventeen. Uh, then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived. Okay, I asked this question in catechism in Sunday school and cradle Catholic here, and they always sent me out in the hall. So, <laughs> I'm sure you get this. <laughs> I think I might have seen you children. there. I, I tell you, I was always in the hall. Yeah. Couldn't ask any questions. Vicky, go in the hall. Hmm. So, <laughs> what? Uh, where did he find a wife if there's four people on earth? Ah, <laughs> good one, yeah. Vicky. Well, uh, the answer to the question would depend upon whether there were actually only four people on the earth. So the book of Genesis is focusing specifically on certain individuals, Adam and Eve and their, you know, and their immediate children, um, Cain and Abel, and then, um, and then Seth. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so that, the affirmation... I was sorry, I was having a, a blank and drawing a blank in my brain there. The affirmation that there are certain children existing does not entail that they are the only children existing. So one possible explanation, Vicky, would be that there were other children of Adam and Eve, namely Cain's sisters, that he could have taken in marriage. That's one possible explanation. The narrative found in Genesis simply does not mention 
those sisters, but just because it does not mention those sisters does not mean those sisters did not exist. Now, of course, that brings up the question, well, what about incest? And there's ways in which theologians are able to answer that question and showing the moral permissibility at that time of Cain marrying his sister. And for more information on that, it's a complex issue, but for more information on that, you can visit our website at catholic.com, type in the search engine, uh, Cain's wife, and then follow the prompts that lead to questions and articles concerning incest. Now, another possible explanation. This has been uh, thrown out there among philosophers and theologians concerning that it may very well be the case, could have been, just saying could have, right? We don't have to ascribe to this. But some have offered the explanation that Cain, as well as others, could have um, engaged in uh, re- um, intercourse with sentient beings that had a biological makeup very similar to human beings, but non-rational, like in a metaphysical sense, and then they being developed enough to conceive, and that upon that conception, God creating a new human being in a metaphysical sense with a body-soul composite, with a rational soul, and having offspring. That is a theory that some have proposed, uh, but one is not obliged to ascribe to it. The church has never rejected that theory or denied that theory. It's a theory that's out there, so it's a matter of opinion. But then you have this other explanation of Cain marrying his sisters. Uh, So there are plausible explanations to make sense of the text and of the propagation of the human species in a way that would be consistent with the Bible as opposed to conflicting with the Bible. Okay, Juanita? Mm-hmm. Oh, excuse me. Sorry. I, Vicky, I apologize. I, I went back to Juanita, who's not there. You did. You did. Is that all right? Thank you. Yes, it's definitely better than being sent out to the hallway. Well, Thank you. if you get sent out to the hallway, I'd be happy to send you some reading material. Carlo's book, uh, Purgatory is for Real, uh, is sitting right here on the desk with me, and we'll send it to you if you want it. Just hang on the line, and uh, we'll, we'll get your information and send it to you. Thanks for the question and the call, And uh, keep asking those questions, Vicky. Yes, I'm sorry Amen. that they sent you to the hall. Um, uh, tomorrow, Open Forum with Jimmy Aiken. Both hours, Internet Open Forum with Mr. Aiken tomorrow. So we continue with our answering all the questions week here for the first week of the year. We're going to get all the questions answered. I don't know if I told you this. And then we're just gonna All have, in a week. In the first week and then the rest of the year, we're just going to have fun. We're going <laughs> to goof around. As if this is not fun? Ah, that's a good point. It is fun. What is more fun than this? Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Carla Broussard has been our guest. You can get him as a speaker. Go to CatholicAnswerSpeakers.com or you can get his books at shop.catholic.com or you can just join us here. He's on all the time. We'll see you tomorrow, God willing, right here. Catholic Answers Live. Catholic Answers Live.